This production contains material of a sensitive nature, including descriptions of abuse and other forms of violence, which may be triggering for some individuals. What do we do when we don't know what to do? Where do we turn when we don't know where to turn? When the unimaginable occurs, how do we begin to imagine a future for ourselves or those we love? On the 14th of March, 2017, Felicia Marshall's daughter, Lexi B., was stalked and murdered. Out of the ashes of that devastating experience, Felicia has grown a beautiful work of loving, serving, and caring for families with similar experience of trauma and tragedy. This is the story of a mother's love, the story of how a broken heart became a generous heart brimming with compassion for others facing loss and grief. The story of how our deepest, most painful wounds can become gifts of healing and wholeness for the world. This is Grant Me Justice. Welcome back to the Grant Me Justice podcast. I'm Paul Rankin. I'm here with Felicia Marshall, and we are here to talk about the Grant Me Justice story um, today. As promised, we're going to get into um, what I consider to be some of the fun stuff. Uh, there's some hard parts of it, but um, some of Felicia's backstory, history. Um, I guess we could go all the way back to Adam and Eve if we wanted to go, but, but as the book traces it back, you begin with your grandparents and their family dynamics. Um, one of the interesting things that you talk about is... Growing up, well, tell us the name of the county you grew up in. Jefferson Davis County. So Jeff, named after Jefferson Davis, right? Mm-hmm. And you are obviously an African-American woman, as, mm-hmm. as you ended a strong African-American woman. Mm-hmm. Um, growing up in the county named after the president of the Confederacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you describe in the book how you, didn't, you weren't really aware of that history Mm-mm. growing up. It was just where you lived. It was just home. Um, and so that's, that's an interesting tension that I, I find to be fascinating is something you were unaware of, but it was always present. It was always a force, and, and that's part of the reality of, of where you lived and, and part of how you became who you are in the world. So we don't want to, we're not sociologists, we're not here to do a sociological analysis, but I did want to name that. Um, I want to talk about your grandparents and... Tell us your grandparents' names. Uh, Ed and Ethel Jackson. Ed and Ethel. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> how many children did Ed and Ethel Jackson have? I can't, I'm sorry. They had eight children, eight total children. eight children. But um, my grandfather was one of 26 children. And um, uh, I was told the other day, I get super excited talking about my grandmother and my grandfather. My grandfather uh, lived to be 100. He just mm-hmm. passed away. Um, in December of last year, um, he had, he and my grandmother had a very big impact on my life. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, they, they got married. Grandpa was 18, grandma was 16. And, uh, they have a, grandpa called my grandmother Monk. Monk? Yeah, Monk. Uh, because, uh, um, I, I always ask my aunts um, and uncles where the name came from, 
Uh, but my grand my grandmother had a love of, of bananas, so I think the, the that's where the name came from. Mm -hmm. Is from uh, her bananas, and um, so we spent a lot of time at my grandmother's house, mm -hmm. and um, my grandmother um, was a very unique person mm -hmm. and uh, I loved um, her boldness in, in the faith. Um, I was told, um, my, my brother told me a couple of weeks ago, which I really didn't know this much of my history, but my great-grandfather was one of the richest black men mm. in Jefferson Davis County. He had a lot of land and the land that they owned had oil on it. Mm -hmm. And so my grandmother received oil checks until she passed away. And um, so he was one of the richest um, men in Jefferson Davis County. Mm -hmm. And I was also told that my grandmother actually witnessed her father dying and her baby sister dying. Mm -hmm. um, they were, he was uh, putting something in an oven and it exploded, and she watched them all die. Hmm. Mm -hmm. wow. That's a traumatic experience. I don't, is there more you want to say about that? No, mm -hmm. just the fact that uh, you kind of um, looking at grandma and looking how she moved. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you can see why she handled things the way that she did. Um, I've always also been told that my grandmother pulled a woman out of my grandfather's car. <laughs> <laughs> my great grandfather's car. Uh -huh. So, um, but um, it just showed just the way she moved and mm -hmm. why she was, um, she experienced a lot of trauma in her life mm -hmm. and um, maybe indicative of her walk with the Lord and the mm -hmm. fact that she had to depend a lot on that. So, I want to talk more about all of that and, and the trauma. Um, just the trauma of being alive in the world that we all experience, but then the particular trauma of being African-American and female in the Deep South mm -hmm. anytime mm -hmm. now, but especially back back in the day, although um, sometimes we hear pieces of news. We were just talking about that before mm -hmm. um, that make us realize how little has changed, mm -hmm. sadly. Um, but I do want to kind of keep us keep us in order for a minute here, and we can, we can go wherever. Okay. Um, seven children. Eight children. Eight children, sorry. Eight children, I knew that. Um, what were their names? I think that's an interesting detail. Um, William, William James, Willie Edward, Classyrella and Angela, Mabel Ethel Mervis Lee, um, Herring Imogene, Gerald, and Mary. Mary was stillborn. Okay. And Edna Marie. Okay. So those are interesting names. Yes. And you mentioned, you talk a little bit about that in the book and I how do. those names came to be. So uh -huh. we'll maybe leave that. That's the bonus content. What about the book? Um, well, I would like to, to talk uh -huh. about um, Gerald. Yeah, please. Um, so um, one of my uncles was born, um, he was struck with polio. Mm -hmm. And um, he was, my grandmother said he was a preacher. And by all of accounts, you know, you know, we hear a lot of people talking about children not being able to preach. Um, but my grandmother and all of my family members back then said that that um, Gerald had a gift of preaching the gospel. <laughs> and he was struck with polio and um, my grandparents would have to take him to um, Vicksburg. He was at the hospital in Vicksburg. And 
Um, my grandmother would have to go there and stay periods of time, and then she would come back home. Um, and so be, before Gerald passed away, there were some nurses that were taking, a, taking care of him. And so Classy was the child that was born after Gerald. And so um, she named um, Classy after the nurses. Some of the nurses' names were included in her name. So Classy is her sister's name. Rella and Angela are all names from the nurses that took care of Gerald. Okay. Mm-hmm. Say, it again. Say it all together one more time. Classy, Rella, and Angela. It's got a ring to it. It's it very poetic. And my aunt tells me that, you know, she ran from her name all of these years. She mm-hmm. thought it was embarrassing. But then once finding out what it really, really meant, that she thinks it's an honor to have her name. Mm-hmm. And that gets, just that, that detail gets at some of your grandmother's eccentricities. Mm-hmm. And I want to get into that some. Before we do that, I wanted your, your mother and her siblings were very musical, right? Did they, they spent some time... Yes, they were invited my, to sing places. We tell us a little bit about that. Yes, yeah, so my grandfather was a Baptist minister, mm-hmm. and so he would travel around the community singing, and what what he called day ray made uh, groups, and so he would collect kids from other families and people in the neighborhood, and they would just travel around from church to church, and they would sing. Uh, these Day Ray May songs. Tell me about that. Now it is called Day, because they start off with Day Ray, mm-hmm. and so um, it starts off with that and then they lead into the songs. Mm-hmm. And you had to know your part. Yeah. And so he had different um, fam- different people that were able to sing different parts and they would just mm-hmm. travel and sing the parts. Now my mom um, penned a song called Christian Automobile and they say that the song was actually picked up um, by um, someone, uh, but Mama never got anything from it. But um, Mama penned the song Christian Automobile, and that's the song that she sung all the time. I know a little bit of it, but not the whole song. I want to know. I want to learn how to sing the whole song. Well, you know what I ask you no, to it, sing that song. No. Come on, come on. <laughs> <laughs> all right. What would it take to get you to sing that song? A whole lot. I've got some some money in the wallet. All right. Um, Christian Automobile. Christian Automobile. Just that's such an intriguing Mm -hmm. title for a song. And it has, the song has details about, uh, it's it's the Christian walk, and it says that, you know, every child of God, and then it talks about you got to get in the car, Mm. and it, it talks about, um, putting on your brakes, and it and it talks about your walk, um, the Christian walk, mm-hmm. and it, <clears throat> but it then talks about all those different pieces and parts of the car. It talks about Jesus is the one that's holding it all together, mm-hmm. and that was her song. She sang it at every event that we had. She was singing Christian Automobile, and um, we would generally get up get together annually for my grandparents' anniversary. And Mama would always sing Christian Automobile. Yeah, and the family always knew all of the parts of Christian Automobile. Nobody could sing it like my mama. Is there any recording, like a camcorder recording or anything? I do, but I, it's on a VHS. I have to get it um, yeah. changed over. But I do have one recording of Mama singing. I'm looking over at our red. producer. I wonder <laughs> if there's a way we could splice a, a, at least a, a clip from uh, that into, into this. Yeah. Um, okay, so... 
So they were a very musical family. Our church was very important to my grandparents, of course. Mm -hmm. My grandfather was a, a, a Baptist minister. Mm -hmm. My grandmother was also a minister, but was not accepted as that in the community mm -hmm. because she was female. And in most Baptist circles, females are not just are not well not only Baptists, but mm -hmm. many denominations do not consider um, female ministers. But um, I asked my grandfather a couple of years back, you know, what he thought about my grandmother's preaching, and um, my grandfather told me that um, she, he felt like she was more pure than any man that he had ever heard preaching, and if anybody could do it, she could do it. Uh, I asked him if he ever stood up for her, and he told me no, he never stood up for her, um, which was unfortunate. But um, he did um, talk to me, and I have another aunt um, that we've been in ministry for a while. Um, both of uh, I've been ordained; she has not been ordained. But he's always, you know, told me and her that he's very proud of us. Um, just standing and doing what the Lord has called us to do without um, doing it, you know, without considering what other people may say. Yeah. So that's a huge part of your story. I mean, the, we talked last time about the kind of thread of women, the generations of women, and now there's this religious aspect of, you know, Christianity, church, life, and culture, um, but also that women... Like, I think you write in the book that your grandmother um, was the first, you know, female the, you know, it, preacher who anybody in that, in that part of the world had mm -hmm. ever known or, or seen. Is that, am I remembering that yeah, right? Yeah. 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 So I want to go back to that because was that um, later in life when she kind of came into that vocation or was she, she have No, grandmother, my grandmother has always, um, as far as I, I remember, mm -hmm. Grandma has always um, preached. Uh, grandmother never considered the pulpit as her um, battleground. Her, mm -hmm. her battleground was in the community, and mm -hmm. she she traveled um, and she uh, laid hands on people, um, ministered to people on a regular basis. Of course, as little children, we thought that this was kind of weird, you know, this mm -hmm. thing that she has going on. Mm -hmm. But she took us with her everywhere she went. And the people in the community knew um, that when she was coming, that she was going to lay hands on you and she was going to pray and she was going to tell you about the Lord. Uh, my grandmother was, um, she would not do anything without being led by the Spirit. You know, people said that she was crazy. They really called her crazy. Mm -hmm. And um, and I talk about that in the book, you know, how people in the community would say, here come that old crazy Ethel Jackson. Mm -hmm. uh, I wish I was half as crazy as she is for the Lord because mm -hmm. Grandma was bold. Um, and I wish I had um, the boldness to walk in the Lord the way that she did because... Grandma wouldn't walk up a step without saying, I have to wait and let the Spirit lead me. Hmm. And I think that's important. I think we, we uh, this day and time, we tend to lean on our own um, understanding and our own, um, you know, ability to do things. But Grandma didn't feel like she could do anything without the Spirit's help. And I think that's, that's an important part of who she was. Um, when she put gas in the car, you know, she would tell us, we got to pray, you know, let's pray. And whatever number it was, it may have been $5.17. Uh, 
Uh, that's what she would stop on, $5.17. Hmm. And um, everything that she did, she did. She, it was certain uh, routes that she would take. And she said, this is where the spirit is leading me today. And that's the route that she would take. Now, a lot of people called my grandmother um, crazy, but at her funeral, there were people that came out of the woodworks mm -hmm. um, giving testimonies of her coming and healing her, laying hands on her, coming and uh, mowing her yard, even in her um, elder years, mm -hmm. you know, just coming and meeting needs of people, um, visiting the sick. Um, and matter of fact, the day that she was killed, that's where she was coming from. She had a regular daily uh, journey that she went and she went there and she ministered to people and um, and my grandmother always said you know don't worry about me I'm okay I'm, I'm okay with the Lord she was um, sound in her faith uh, and regardless of what people thought about her she didn't care she just kept on doing what the Lord had called her to do and I think so many times we're we're bound by man's idea of what God has told us to do and I think that's unfortunate because it prevents us doing a lot of work that the Lord has called us to do. And similar to me, you know, even when I look at my walk with the Lord and and uh, you and I have talked about it and I wrote a little bit about it in, in my book of being called into the ministry and how I went to different people and asking them whether or not, um, you know, it was okay, you know, whether it was biblical, what this thing the Lord was putting on my heart to do. And, and everybody that I went to, to told me, no, you know, this is the Lord may be calling you to do something. He ain't calling you to do that. And how I wrestled with it for years and years and years of uh, wanting to be obedient to the Lord, but at the same time not wanting to do anything outside of the Lord's will. And um, how even in my work life, how I've kind of like hidden um, and kind of lived a, a double life and being one thing working for one one denomination that does not uh, honor or accept women in, in the pulpit and ministry and, and, and still going on these little circuits preaching here and there. Um, and so I think, uh, you know, when I even having this conversation, I'm thinking about the boldness of, the, of my grandmother. Like I said, I wish I had had, had the, the boldness that she had. Mm. Um, I really and truly, um, even some of my closest friends didn't believe and still don't believe that I was calling to the ministry and that women are called. I'm not talking about calling to um, have a podium on the side of the pulpit. That's not what I'm talking about. Mm. Nor do I think that we want to take a man's pulpit. That's not our desire to do. I think the Lord has called us in ways to minister to people. And um, just like a man, you know, we just don't want to disappoint God. Mm -hmm. We just want to be obedient. We, I mean, if we really believe what the word says, who would want to do that mm -hmm. without being called? Yeah. But also, if you know anything about what you read, if you are called, who doesn't want to be obedient to that? Yeah. <laughs> to that? So, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it was cool to see my grandmother. Uh, and I talk about this in the book and some of the, the ways I talk about, you know, my grandmother, when, when you said you had a headache, grandma prayed. Mm. You know, you said you, you, whatever it is, grandma prayed. Mm. You said you need money, 
Grandma prayed, and then she sent you over to Grandpa to get the money. <laughs> but Grandma prayed for everything. Mm -hmm. And uh, my daughter was, my daughter and I was talking not too long ago, and she was like, she was taking the baby to the doctor, and she was like, Mom, did you remember going to the doctor when you was young? I was like, No, we didn't go to the doctor. Grandma yeah. prayed. Yeah. You know, it wasn't a such thing as going to the doctor and asking the doctor anything. Mm -hmm. Grandma prayed. She was gonna uh, anoint you with oil, and Grandma was gonna pray. And that was an important part of my life. That's all we knew. That's all our family knew was uh, we knew who she was. We knew her connection with the Lord. And our family stood on that, stood on her shoulders because we knew Grandma had a direct connection with the Lord. Mm -hmm. Grandma was praying. We knew if nothing else that she did, she was going to pray. She was going to eat bananas. And she was going <laughs> to be in her car. And she was going to pray. That was three things <laughs> we knew. Mm -hmm. So, I, yeah, I think I'm going to I'm going to repeat something that you just said, because it's in the book. You write it so beautifully. I want to read it directly. I have I actually had it written. Okay. and You've already alluded to it. Um, so you this is how you write it. You say, Lord, how she could pray. Prayer seemed to infuse every part of grandma's life. So the question was never if she was praying, but whether she ever stopped. If we had a headache, grandma prayed. If we were sick, grandma prayed. If we needed money. She directed us to grandpa, and then she prayed. Mm. It wouldn't surprise me to learn that she prayed in her sleep, that her dreams were only wild extensions of her waking life. And I, I just, the language of that, the idea that her dreams were, even her dreams were, were prayers, mm. that it was so, her consciousness and subconscious would be so saturated and infused with mm -hmm. praying that it would never cease. Um, I think the Apostle Paul has something to say about that, mm. pray without ceasing. Um, so I just, is, is there anything else you want to say about her prayer life? I want to talk some about the eccentricities. I've got a few specific questions to direct that um, as needed. But anything else you want to say about her? Well, I, just the fact that, you know, and I know I've alluded to it, that uh, I think um, her life was one that she lived boldly. Mm -hmm. And I think her prayer life, life was an extension of that. Mm. And so much so that she didn't fear man. Yeah. No man. She didn't fear man mm -hmm. and what man thought. And and I think she was so in tune with what the Lord um, desire was for her life that what man's perspective or thought about it didn't matter. So if you were in the grocery store and you said your head was hurting, grandma wasn't gonna say anything, she was gonna she was gonna pray right in the grocery store. Mm -hmm. If she was in the line, she was gonna pray. And so that was just who she was. And I think um, if half of us, and, you know, I think about myself can just have that boldness about prayer and what prayer does. And that that is our connection to the Lord. I think um, this world would be a better place. The word that comes to mind is free. It sounds mm. like she was as free as anybody I've ever heard. I mm. think of a couple of passages of scripture where and I'm, I'm bad with chapter and verse I know one is you know, you know perfect love casts out fear you said she she had no fear of mm -hmm. man humans um, but also if the um, it's for freedom that Christ came to set mm -hmm. us free and if the sun sets you free you're free indeed mm -hmm. so um, I think we're all sort of long for that mm -hmm. freedom that boldness as you described but mm -hmm. um you do such a wonderful job of, of um, depicting Ethel Jackson's freedom mm -hmm. to the point that 
many people around her thought she was crazy. They called her crazy. Mm -hmm. Even her grandchildren didn't know what to make of it and thought she was at least odd or weird a <laughs> yeah. lot of the time. Um, and another, another, I think this is from a movie, but you know, there's a quote that comes to mind. In, in, a, in a mad world, only the, mad, only the sane appear mad. Mm -hmm. you know, that, that maybe she was the sanest person mm -hmm. um, around. And so by contrast with the mad world, she appeared crazy. Mm -hmm. um, but there were a few uh, eccentricities that I thought that you write about in the book. I thought we could just kind of um, unpack a little bit here. You talk about her style, her clothes and her hair, um, her car, her painting and art. Um, and you also talk about her cooking a mm -hmm. little bit. I'd like to, uh, you can talk about any or all that or none of that. I, I don't know how, how far down that um, trail you want to go, but I'm curious to hear you. Yeah, well, Grandma, um, initially, Grandma was, um, when I first remember my grandmother and I spending um, time there, Grandma was dressed, what we call dressed to the nine. So she was had the beautiful dress. She, she would go to the style shop, and that's where she would get all of her clothes, and she would go down to the quarters and get her hair pressed and curled. and and um, But somewhere in there, something changed, and I think what changed was her relationship with the Lord. Mm. And so once that changed, Grandma cut her, cut her hair, similar to what mine is now, and she started wearing robes. And so her daily attire was robes. And if, even if she had pants on underneath, she would wear a robe. And- um, like a clerical robe? Uh-huh, okay. a clerical robe, she would wear a robe. Mm. And um, some of it though, um, she said that she would wear the robe on top of the pants. She, was because she didn't want anybody to see her figure. She had seen a lot in her life of, of um, sexual issues. And I think um, part of her covering her shape, so to speak, was so that no one um, would look at her in that way. Mm. And she wore a white robe, and that robe is what she did her ministry working in. And, you know, we talked about briefly yesterday, or when we did the last podcast, um, about the, the suitcase, and in the suitcase was her white robe, and um, one, of, one of her white robes, and so that was important to her. She wore that white robe on a regular basis, meaning it wasn't something that she took off. Mm -hmm. You know, she didn't take her spirituality off and put it to the side. Mm -hmm. It was something that she uh, was invested in for life. And um, I, I'm appreciative of that. But of course, then as small children, you see your grandmama walk around with a rope and some jeans on. <laughs> it's like, what in the world is going on with that? So, uh, but yeah, um, she, she changed the way that she was um, looking. And I remember one night when her, and I talk about this in the book, uh, one night um, when her, grand, her sister um, passed away, and we lived in a, in a, my grandparents lived in a rural, very rural, dark area. Of course, there weren't lights and stuff back then. Mm. And uh, certainly weren't street lights back then. And we lived down a road uh, about a mile, half a mile uh, in. And uh, Grandma uh, put a white robe on and ran, uh, put a white sheet on and ran up the road. And she was, she was grieving, you mm. know, she was grieving her sister. And I, I remember my grandfather telling her that if you keep on running up this road, this dark road with that white robe on, somebody's going to shoot your ass. Mm -hmm. 
And that's just how my grandmother and my grandfather uh, communicated like mm -hmm. that. You know, grandma would do stuff and grandpa, grandma, granddaddy would uh, say something crazy and, and, and grandma would, would um, say something back. But she was invested in her life of the Lord. She really was. Mm -hmm. And she was also a painter. She would. Grandma would come home and, you know, whatever she felt in her spirit, whether it, you know, back then we would... Um, you would leave the house, the outside of the house would have been, just say it was white. And you come back and it's pink and green and yellow and, and my, but my grandfather never would say anything. Our grandma would paint the door, she would paint the car, she would paint the house. Um, and, and for us as small kids walking in and seeing that kind of stuff, of course, we thought it was odd. Mm -hmm. But uh, Grandma would say this is what the, the Spirit is leading her to do, and she would paint. Mm -hmm. I don't think she, she knew, or, or I don't know if, if um, you know, people probably would ask, well, why didn't she paint on, on a canvas or something mm -hmm. like that? Uh, but I don't think that may have been available to her at the time, or even mm -hmm. if she knew that. Um, looking back at it, I see her um, using whatever the Lord had told her to do, to do it, mm -hmm. be obedient to it, and let people think whatever they wanted to think about it. Yeah. But that's what she did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you talked about her cooking. Yeah. Uh, grandma, my grandmother could cook, and I talk about this in, in detail in the book. And one of the things that I remember vividly is her her uh, biscuits and her tea cakes. And when grandma would make her biscuits and her tea cakes, her handprints would be in them. Mm. And uh, which I uh, wish I could have one right now, but just, uh, just mindful of how much care she put into the fact that each one that we ate had her in it. Um, she would cook greens and all of the vegetables that we got out of the garden. And I talk about her flat of the back cooking. <laughs> Uh, where she would go in and put something on the stove and go in one of the rooms and lay down flat of her back and then she'd tell somebody to check on it. But she was a very good cook. And, um, you know, greens, and I talk about the greasy kind and talk about the, the way that she cooked her vegetables. And, um, yeah, she was a, a great cook. Yeah, we're having to stop talking about that before, <laughs> before lunch. And, you know, it sounds amazing. So, yeah. Um, Last thing, and you've already alluded to her car, but her car was very important to her. Yeah, my grandmother loved her car. Mm -hmm. um, that's when she, if grandpa was working on the car, she was in the car. If she had to go to the, to the mailbox, which was just a few feet away, grandpa was in her car. Mm -hmm. Grandma slept in her car. Everywhere, everything about her life was in her car. Um, later on in life, um, she had said that people had started to follow her and um, we took, Grandpa took the keys and um, she was very upset that we had to take her. But even with us taking and driving her around, she would tell us how the Spirit is leading her to go. So if we went a certain direction, she was like, no, the Spirit is not telling us to go that way. We need to go, we need to go another way, which was very frustrating to us. Mm. But, you know, that's how she operated. You know, she was all, even with us driving, you know, she was always being led by the Spirit. And she told us, um, my grandfather eventually gave her her keys back. And he said, well, she told him, if this is the way that the Lord is calling, calling me to go, this mm -hmm. is how I'm going to go. And he gave her her keys back. And she ended up getting killed in her car. Yeah. And she was 
doing ministry when that happened? Yep, she had, um, like I said earlier, she had a daily routine. I'm going visiting people and um, she had been, was, was on her way home from one of the routine. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the um, ladies that came, that she had visited that day, came to her funeral and said that she said, you know, I'm ready to go home. Mm -hmm. And um, she left and was, was um, hit by a car truck. Uh, but yeah. How old was she at the time? Grandma was in her, I believe grandma was 74 or 75 when she passed away. So you were grown. Oh yeah, I was then. a grown adult. Mm -hmm. You described that in the book. That yeah. It's, it's not, the book's not exactly linear. There are places mm -hmm. where it moves around, mm -hmm. but you describe kind of after that. That's when you, I think we talked about that in the previous episode. Yeah. I'd kind of forgotten we talked about this. Yeah, case. I was about to go there, but you, I'm glad you mentioned that we'd already... Already yeah. discussed the suitcase. That's one of the most striking, another you know, most striking images in the book. And yeah, it seems you know, it's both literal and metaphorical in all, in all sorts of ways. And her um, death was shocking because, mm -hmm. you know, I know death is shocking. Period. But we thought my grandmother would have been here when everybody else was gone. Yeah. And she, um, you know, people talk about the glue that holds the family together. Mm. Um, my grandmother was the glue that held our family together. Grandmother was for the right. And she didn't care who you were. If you were wrong, she would tell you you were wrong. Um, she loved her family. Um, if something was going on, um, she was going to make sure it handled. If you, if we needed anything, mm. anything that we needed, all we had to do was tell her, and she was going to make sure that Grandpa heard. <laughs> <laughs> if if it was financial. She was going to make sure um, Grandpa uh, mm -hmm. made sure it was taken care of. My grandmother didn't work outside of the home. She worked for a little while, uh, maybe a couple of weeks outside of the home. But other than that, she, she worked inside of the house, which was unusual for, for mm -hmm. a lot of black women. They've always worked either cleaning someone's house or something. Mm -hmm. but, but my grandmother worked at home. Mm -hmm. So she was the, the glue, as you say, and after she passed... Um, it has not been the same. Did things kind of fall apart? Mm -hmm. It has not been the same since my grandmother mm -hmm. passed away. Um, home, what we call home, mm -hmm. um, hasn't seemed like home. Even though my grandfather was there, mm -hmm. and we love my grandfather, I'm not taking anything from him, but it has not been the same since my grandmother left. Yeah. I talk about also her quilts and my grandmother yes. making quilts. Um, she would take straps of whatever clothing and uh, make quilts and they would be in the car, they would be laying around the house. Um, she would often have um, straps just hanging around waiting, you know, for her to sew into a quilt. She was a very good quilter as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In your, well, no, let me, let me back up. So we talked about, you know, the perception of the outside, from to the outside, world she, she appeared crazy to a lot of people um and i want to be careful i don't say this uh, I, i'm married and my wife's very creative and if i went home today and the house was painted all <laughs> sorts of different colors i might wonder if she had gone crazy so um and, and i only say that not to I, I completely especially as you describe her um the the kind of the freedom she had i actually not only am i not judging that in a negative sense, but I, I would envy it and crave it, mm -hmm. like that kind of freedom in my own life and, mm -hmm. and walk. Um, 
But it does seem like your grandfather must have been a very patient man. I and think he had a very unique relationship. So I wonder if you want to talk about him a little. His name was Ed Jackson. Yes. Uh, I think my grandfather was a very patient man. He was very quiet. Um, he was slow to speak, mm -hmm. and but when he spoke, he had something to say. Mm -hmm. um, he was a um, hard worker. Um, my grandfather grew up um, during the, um, the Great Depression, mm -hmm. and so he was um, frugal, and um, he wanted to make sure that his family was taken care of. So he planted fields of um, what we call fields of vegetables, and um, that's how we survived because we would, uh, although we lived in the cities, the grandchildren lived in the cities, surrounding cities and some in Chicago and uh, Washington DC and wherever. We were thrown all over the place, but in the summers we would converge on, mm -hmm. on the property <laughs> and um, we would be the ones that would, would have to, you know, make sure that we harvest all of the vegetables and can and we talk about that in the book about canning and putting up um, food and, and stuff like that and talk about the cucumber vat. My grandfather had a huge cucumber field. Mm -hmm. um, that's how we had money um, during the summer. We would go and pick cucumbers and uh, take them to the cucumber vat and how we had started. At first, grandmama was getting our checks and we started to outwit her and uh, get our own money and, and uh, how she bust the corn on our backs and <laughs> all of that. But uh, yeah, my grandfather had a, a mule I named Charlie. I think I got to pause you. We're going back to, we're gonna, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop there. Let's come back to Charlie. We okay. <laughs> but you used a phrase in passing that I, I would just want to, so you said your grandmother would bust a corn on your bags. Mm -hmm. Tell us what that means. Uh, she would do more threatening than anything. And she said she was going to bust the corn on her back, which means that we were going to get a spanking or whooping. Okay. Uh, but a lot of times she would be threatening more than anything. Mm -hmm. I can't recall ever getting a whipping by my grandmother. Now, she's threatened all of us mm -hmm. to bust the corn on our backs. But Sounds like she was an imposing enough figure that she probably wouldn't have to, she, all she had to do was say it once. And then, she oh. had all of these little phrases that mm. she would she would say, but, but a bust the corn on your back was the one that most of us remember. Yeah. Uh, Grandma saying is that. Do you um, have any idea where the phrase originates? Or I have no idea. I've never heard it before. Uh, I mean, I grew, we grew up very close together and a similar time, you know. I she can't remember which one of us is a little older than the other. But. I don't know where that phrase came from. She wouldn't tell us to get out the car. She would tell us to fall out the car. Fall out the car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she would tell us to fall out the car, not get out the car. And she would always say she was going to report us to our parents. Mm. And um, But she never really spanked us. And I can't remember again but one um, spanking so you... So if you if you will from my grandfather, mm -hmm. and it wasn't really a spanking; it was one lick, mm -hmm. and and he only had to hit you one time, mm -hmm. and you you would know that he meant being. He was very gentle, uh, he was very patient, mm -hmm. uh, but we had a, you know we had kids coming in from everywhere that yeah. you know we were going to do our own things. Um, some of the kids set the um, field on fire one time. <laughs> I, I talk about that in the book, about them uh, setting the cornfield on fire. And uh, he was steaming that day. And uh, But anyway, uh, my grandfather, my grandmother was the one that did all the loving and nurturing. And my mm -hmm. grandfather did all the providing. Yeah. 
Yeah, I love just I love hearing about your both grandparents, but I love mm-hmm. hearing about your grandfather. I, mm-hmm. As you know, I think I said this in the previous episode. I'm a gardener, uh-huh. um, and I want to be a farmer, but it, I feel like I didn't grow up to it and don't know enough to mm-hmm. to know what I don't know. Even I would love to be able to just learn everything he would have to teach me. Mm-hmm. Um, with that said, let's go back to. You said he had a mule named Charlie. Yes, Grandpa had a mule named Charlie, and uh, Grandpa, he worked at the co-op, so he would uh, either get up really, really early, and he and Charlie would be out there uh, plowing up the fields, or he would, when he came home at night, then he, he and Charlie would be out there uh, plowing the fields. And so you could hear him, and sometimes he would put uh, a light on Charlie's head, and, and, he, and Charlie was stubborn. <laughs> and you could hear him fussing at, at Charlie, like, whoa, Mew, I said, whoa. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was, uh, back then, you know, uh, it was a different life then. And I, I, I'm so appreciative now that I was able to experience working in the field, experience eating food from the garden, from the ground, uh, experiencing watching my grandfather um, put his blood, sweat, and, and, and tears into uh, making sure that we had a meal on the table, at least for a short period of time, the time that we was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, watching my grandmother pray and um, uh, know that uh, her existence lied not in her own self or in her own means, but in the hands of the Lord. Uh, I'm just so grateful for the impact that they both made on my life. Mm-hmm. My grandfather was a man of integrity. He taught us that your, your name meant something. Mm-hmm. And I think that goes a, wa- a long way when you go somewhere and somebody, they ask if you're Ed Jackson's granddaughter, that meant something. Mm-hmm. And um, hopefully that, you know, we're able to extend, you know, that legacy of, and I mean myself, I want people to know that when, when um, Felicia's, Felicia Marshall's name meant something, means that I am a woman of integrity. Mm. And I think if it had not been for my grandparents, I would not have known that. Yeah. A beautiful, beautiful tribute. Mm-hmm. Um, just to develop that a little further, um, it sounds like your grandfather had kind of what I would call a polyculture or polycrop, like a subsistence farm where he grew lots of different vegetables, maybe some fruits to that provide a lot of food for the family. But he also had what we would describe as a cash crop in the cucumber field. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you want to talk a little bit about the cucumbers and what that, some of your experiences around that? Man, uh, we would get up early in the morning and everybody had their own special buckets or bags or sacks or Mm -hmm. whatever. And no one touches the other person's sacks or bags. Mm Uh, we would get up every in the mo- uh, early in the morning and we would pick cucumbers. We know, knew which ones um, that was going to um, gain a little more money than the other ones, the fours and the threes. We knew we weren't going to get too much money but, for those. Pause there. I think you're, you're telling the story. You know well. I want to <laughs> make sure it's clear to our listeners. So, so you're, uh, you're, my gra- se- you're picking the cucumbers to sell. Where to are you sell. selling them? At the Cucumber Vet, which is downtown. Which and is they downtown. have a rating system. Yes, they okay. have a rating system of cucumbers. And so when we were picking them, we knew what the system was. So and different. we knew which ones would pay the most. Okay. And they're making pickles? Yes. Okay. Well, go ahead. So, so now tell us about it. And so we also, in picking the, the, uh, the cucumbers, though, Grandpa had ta- taught us how to pick them so that they would continuously uh, make. Mm-hmm. And um, so we would pick 
and we would make sure that we're making sure that the vines are back down mm. so that um, they would continuously make so we would continuously have money for the summer. Mm. And we would take the cucumbers and we would pick, make sure we're getting the ones and the twos. And, yeah. Well, describe um, a one for us. So one of the smaller ones, you mm -hmm. know, like you would see um, the, little, the little ones. Uh -huh. That's the best? The little tender, ten, okay. tender ones. The ones and the twos were the best. Okay. The threes and the four was much bigger, which had more wa water in them. Mm -hmm. And so they weren't good for pickling. Uh -huh. So the threes and fours, you didn't get much mm -hmm. money off of those. Mm -hmm. um, and so we would take whatever we had gotten. And uh, we usually would work um, from 6 or 7 o'clock in the morning while the sun was down uh, to 10, 11 o'clock. Um, and getting as many as we could. And then we would take them downtown to the cucumber vat and they would put them on a conveyor belt that would separate them. And then they would pay us for what we had brought. Mm -hmm. And initially when we were going, grandma would get all the money. And so the check would go to her. And it, but then we, we creatively found out that we could get the checks in our own name. <laughs> And so we started getting checks in our own name. And we would go downtown to the Sunflower. And that's where we would cash the check because we, they knew us as being great. Sunflower's a grocery store. Uh, Sunflower grocery store. And there was a Rexall drugstore there as well. And so either one of those places would cash our checks without an identification because they knew who we were. Mm -hmm. And um, we would get our checks. And um, Sunflower at that time had little hamburgers, like the little Crystal Burgers. Uh, that you could buy. You could get like four for a dollar. And uh, we would go, that would be the first place we stop is cash our checks and 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 um, get the um, hamburgers. And then we would get grandma what we wanted her to have. Mm -hmm. Of course, she was always fussing because um, she said she needed gas and she needed to buy all the things that she would buy, like bananas and uh, she would buy sardines and crackers and um, all kinds of fruit, like plums and stuff, peaches and plums, she loved that. Mm -hmm. And she would always have stashes of that around, but she needed that money for her gas money. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, she didn't want us to have it, mm -hmm. you know. She wanted to make sure that we weren't just um, wasting it. Yeah. So it's, it's such an uh, idyllic picture that you paint of your grandparents' farm and then um, your experiences with your parents growing up, and so that was early childhood, mainly in spending summers on the farm. And then your experience with your parents was not quite as peaceful or ideal. Oh no, and I don't think it was, um, for all of the grandkids that were um, there during the summers, I think we all had our struggles mm -hmm. um, throughout the winter months. Mm -hmm. And I think being on the grandfather's uh, was gave our parents a much needed rest and gave us rest from life in general. And I think probably some of us more so than others, but I think it was a way for us to kind of regroup um, for the summer and then start all back over again. Uh, my parents um, married really young. Matter of fact, they married at the church, met at the church and married at the church. I tell the story of, of um, my mother um, following a young lady down the church aisle and jumping on her for saying something to my, mm -hmm. <laughs> saying something to my, uh, my dad. So back when then, if, on her. Uh, um, fighting her. In the church. In the church. 
Um, back then, everybody pretty much met in the church. Mm -hmm. um, and so church was was a vital part of everybody's life. And so even courting was mm -hmm. done at the church. And so my parents met at the church. Mm -hmm. And um, my, my dad um, was working the pipeline. And so they would travel a lot. And uh, initially they would travel a lot, lot. And then they finally settled back in Prentice in mm -hmm. Jefferson Davis County. And as young kids, my parents were very, very abusive to one another. Um, so much so um, that blood was always a result. Mm -hmm. And um, it was probably more so my dad's fault because my dad would go off and stay off, stay gone for days at a time. And then he'd come back with not a penny to his name. And, um, and then that would always cause something. Mm. And um, I, as a little girl, I felt like I had some type of premonition of when something would happen. I could look in the sky and tell when it was gonna be a fight. And um, it was just a, a unsettling in my belly. Even before anything went down, I knew it was gonna happen. Mm. And I can still get that feeling today. Mm. If something is, un something is wrong in some instances, I can still feel it in my belly. Um, but I could feel when it was going to be a problem. And we, because we lived in a rural community, we lived down a dark, a, another long, dark road, and we did not have any lights. And um, so the neighbor, the next neighbor was at least a mile up the road. And uh, whenever they would get into a fight, so much so that I would just take off running, just mm -hmm. run to try to get help. And uh, it had become such a common instance that when I would get there, the neighbor would be waiting. He would know it would be me, and he would always welcome me in. And uh, he would never go down there, but he would welcome me in. Mm. Um, my parents uh, eventually divorced when I was seven. Mm -hmm. I had a brother that was nine, and then I had uh, a brother that was four at the time. And I remember when um, my dad left, the day that my dad left, and I talk about this in the book, that my, my dad put his dog on the back of his truck and his clothes. And um, I don't think any of us thought that he was gonna be gone for real. You know, because mm -hmm. as little kids, you know, you see your parents going through stuff, but at the same time, you still want your parents to be together. Mm -hmm. And I think it was the same for us. Um, but to see him load his dog and his, his clothes, going back and forth, putting his clothes on the back of the truck, and my, my brother, my baby brother asked, where he was going and he said he was taking his clothes to the cleaners and um and he never came back hmm. and um my brothers hold him responsible for the life that we had to leave live hmm. um after he left um for me um i don't know if our life would have been better or not had he not left hmm. because um their fights had become so violent uh, and I talk about in the book the one time that I saw my dad shoot, shoot at my mom and how devastating that was for me. And um, for me to beg him not to shoot as if I had done something, begging him saying, I won't do it anymore. We, we're going to be good. You know, we're not going to do it anymore. But for to hear him still cock that gun and shoot, shoot um, at the car and the lights, um, the 
the lights out of the car, uh, shot the lights out of the car. And, you know, as a little kid, you don't know the difference between a light and a body. You just see shots fired. And, um, but, you know, that was just one instance. You know, Daddy would beat Mama so bad that he would drag her up and down the road. It wasn't just a slap. It wasn't anything like that. He would drag her. He would beat her and he would drag her up and down the road. And so that was devastating. And so I, didn't, I don't know if his leaving would have been better or not. Because from my perspective, it was pretty bad. Um, we eventually, um, I don't know if mama couldn't keep the house or she just wanted a, a new start, but then we, we, we moved to Braxton and D'Lo mm -hmm. in that area and um, we moved into an old cafe and I talk about this in the book about the, the old cafe that we moved in and um, you know we, we used the, the drink machine as a refrigerator. Uh, stove. The oven didn't work. We used cooked biscuits on top of the stove, and um, but that was it was difficult uh, part of our life. Of course, as young people, all of our life was kind of difficult. It's kind of hard to look back on that part of our life as young kids and see some good parts about it. Mm. Um, but um, we had a lot of, of bad stuff in our life. Yeah, you you describe those summers on your grandparents' farm as kind of a rest mm -hmm. um, amid a lot of turbulence and turmoil and violence. And uh, this, the, the story that we're kind of working through is this, you know, centers on the story of a murder, um, and which is obviously a tragic story of, of devastating violence. Um, but this the discussion of your grandparents' farm feels a little bit like a rest in the middle of that. So I think we'll pause there and pick up next time with uh, a little more about your upbringing and, and kind of how that flows into your own experiences as a mother. Um, so tune in next time for that. And thank you for joining us today. Today's podcast was brought to you by Genesis Bank, whose mission is to provide thoughtful financial advice and helpful financial solutions to every customer they serve. To learn more, visit them on the web at genesis.bank.